four. Chris, the topic you have chosen for us to discuss today is how do you use and introduce randomness into your games? This is a topic added by Greg Teachout way back, not that far back, I guess, <laughs> episode 10. Hello and welcome to Roll for Topic, a roundtable discussion about running role-playing games. Each episode we roll on our table of topics and discuss the results. My name is Chris Salzman. And I'm Andy Rowe. And this week we do not have a special guest. We're kicking it old school, just me and Andy this time. Indeed we are. You know, when we started this podcast, uh, however long ago it was, years, months, it's a little (laughs) unclear. Yeah, it was just you and me, Chris, for the first couple episodes. And I had no idea we were going to end up with like something in the line of 10 amazing guests. Yeah, it's pretty amazing. And we have plans to bring guests back on. For timing and scheduling purposes, it's just going to be us today. But we're still going to talk and we're still going to impart our great GM wisdom, I'm sure. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. So first of all, we want to uh, do a shout out just to you, the listener. Uh, Thanks for listening. Mm -hmm. And thanks for the feedback that you send to us via Twitter and other methods. Uh, We appreciate it. And we we even take it into account. Uh, We do, yes. Yeah, yes. so... Act- actual changes have been made based on things that you have said. So we don't have a guest. We would normally spend this time here at the beginning of the show uh, asking our uh, guests some awkward questions about their game mastering history. I would like to hear, Chris, a little bit about what you have been up to game-wise in the last uh, couple of weeks. Uh, so what have you been playing or running? Or maybe mm-hmm. what have you been reading or watching that has uh, had some sort of uh, impact on your gaming or game mastering yeah we watched recently um we finished a rewatch of fellowship of the ring which is you know always excellent (laughs) yes how does that hold up Uh, oh it's still really good although it's starting to get to the point where i'm wondering when they're going to redo it i feel like in my mm. lifetime we'll see some sort of gigantic remake of of the series oh you know they are already planning it it's already on the the yeah, there's a spreadsheet company. somewhere that's telling someone to to definitely do that. <laughs> but yeah, it's, it's really good. And <laughs> yes. the way the way that we've been watching it, and we're gonna watch the rest of the trilogy, is uh, so each of the movies kind of gets split into two movies. You know, they're long enough that you can kind of like yeah, cut it halfway through. You know, so watch it one night, and then after a couple of weeks and you've recovered, watch it. <laughs> yes, watch the next one. Gone are the days where you can where I can marathon the entire thing in one day. Alas, yeah. But uh, it's it's still good, you know, still, like, there's just a ton in there. You know, I'm running D&D. It's a fantasy setting. There's a lot in there that's just obviously, like, kind of the, you know, the high watermark of fantasy. Yeah. So that's been good. Um, and then we also watched uh, Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse a couple oh, days ago. that is a wonderful movie. Yeah, it's excellent. And the thing that I really took from... From that movie, aside from just, you know, visually amazing, uh, the villain in that, Kingpin, um, I feel like is one of the more... I mean, he's a very direct villain, (laughs) however, but he has like very strong motivations, um, which I found uh, just great because a lot of the like Marvel villains, I feel like their their motivations are suspect and like just too grandiose when it Hmm. comes to it. You know, Kingpin in Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse without, you know, too many spoilers and stuff, right? Like he has sort of a a very specific goal that he wants um, in that it's very clear and stuff. And then the way he goes about it is the interesting part. And it's even strangely moving. Like, I yeah. mean, he's like, on the surface, he's the least, like, sympathetic villain you could possibly imagine. He's like a 
a, a cruel mob boss uh, type of character. But yes. Uh, yeah. By the end, you're sort of, you're not rooting for him exactly, but you're, you're recognizing that he is making the same mistakes. <laughs> yes. Yes. Uh, yeah, exactly. Yes. But then on the gaming front, uh, uh, let's see, we have just transitioned. Um, so I've been running a modified version of the starter set uh, for 5e. So the Lost uh-huh. Minds of Fandelver. And that's been going for like a year and a half or so. Yes, so when I, was, I say, when I say I was modified, up, yeah. <laughs> yeah, when I say modified, I mean lots of homebrew, lots of diversions and, and all, all sorts of stuff like that. So that's been fantastic. But we just, this past week, we have transitioned to Horde of the Dragon Queen. Oh my goodness. Um, all right. Yeah. So I, I had a fun moment. They were talking to a bunch of NPCs and they were asking about sort of another town in the Sword Coast. And I got to lay down sort of the, the big map of the Sword Coast. Oh, it's like, nice. yep. you thought your world was this big, but actually <laughs> it's, it's that this is. big. Yeah. And they all kind of stood up and leaned over the map and were like, oh my goodness, look at all this. And you know, pointing out to, you know, all the different places on the map. Did that map come with, um, with, uh, Horde of the Dragon Queen? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Just okay. in the front of it. I just photocopied it. It's nothing too fancy. You know, I, I would be surprised. I have not heard of anyone getting quite this much mileage out of <laughs> Fandelver. Honestly, I like, and if you're listening and you have run Fandelver, Fandelver for over a year, please let us know because, uh, honestly, that's a remarkable feat. Have you have you been embellishing like crazy, or are you just exploring like every nook and cranny in that uh, adventure? Uh, Part of it is uh, we are it's a lunch game, right? So it's it's an hour once a week, so that that slows things down sort of naturally there. Uh, but I have been embellishing. You know, we did a couple side quests and some flashbacks and, and things like that that aren't in the the written adventure. You know, and then like I just we just had a lot of fun with it. Right, just adding adding some stuff. Um, I definitely took things that they sort of grabbed onto and spun it out into to larger things. Yeah, larger sort of plot points, stuff like that. But yeah, it was it was really fun. I think most people run Fandelver by sort of just like doing a couple sessions <laughs> and then they move on. Yeah, with it. But yeah, we got we got a lot. That, of that describes me. Uh, so yeah, and uh, a couple of them actually just use the the character sheets that came with it too. So even, you know, those characters are interesting enough that they're going to continue on with them. I, you know, I give that a big thumbs up. It's a, it's a yeah. great, great adventure. Yeah. They knocked it out of the park with Fandelver. I think uh, they did a good job. Uh, what about you? What have you been reading and playing? Let's see a couple things. One thing I wanted to mention, uh, because you mentioned it uh, a few episodes ago is I watched the first two John Wick movies. Mm, yeah. And, uh, and maybe this can be the the Blades in the Dark, Dark Souls, and John Wick podcast. Yes, uh, but, yeah. <laughs> uh, so I won't uh, I won't spend too much time on John Wick, but I did enjoy it as you enjoyed it. It, it is a strangely game like adjacent film, or both of those are. They're basically the same film. And, but the thing that struck the the specific thing that struck me is that although this is certainly true in in most any action movie like the Marvel movies. It is especially blatant in John Wick, the difference between fight and combat scenes that are meant to generate tension and Mm -hmm. fight and combat scenes that are meant to just be fun indulgences in power fantasy, right? So, like, basically there's two types of fights John Wick gets into. There's fights where he is an unstoppable gun-wielding deity uh, on the battlefield, and he's just one-shotting everything that even comes near him no one has a prayer of hurting him and so during those fights it's just you're just reveling in this in the choreography of the fight and the power fantasy at play 
But then every now and then those scenes will kind of come to a halt as he faces like some sort of like elite henchman. Then it switches to like a, a sort of one-on-one battle that is not fun. It is really tense because they establish quickly that this guy is, you know, roughly John Wick's equal. And there will be a drawn out scene of just John Wick fighting this guy and trading blows. And on those scenes, I'm at the edge of my seat as, you know, the bad guys waving a knife around or whatever like that. And it's, it's interesting to me first that they can toggle between like an essentially invulnerable character in one scene and then make you feel tension about his fate in the next. Oh. But also it, it, uh, it made me realize that, uh, you know, when I plan encounters in gaming, I don't often step back and say, what is the kind of emotional goal or the narrative goal? What is the emotional goal of this combat scene? And I'm not saying that every combat scene should be there to, to create like an emotion in the players, but you know, certainly in D and D you have fights that are meant to do things other than be a, like a, a tense drawn out Mm -hmm. battle to the death. You know, you have fights that are mostly there to drain resources. You have fights that are there. So your players can practice out their cool new powers that they just gained from leveling up. I mean, there's lots of different, different reasons you're having fights and different um, like levels of tension that you're experiencing while you're having a fight. So go, go see John wick. uh, If you, if you want to see a lot of people getting shot in the head, don't see it with your kids. Uh, uh, yeah, I think we this even came up in the last episode. Unless they're child soldiers, I think is where we landed. Yes. The other thing I want to mention is, uh, I guess, two other quick things. One is I uh, I've been skimming through the uh, first Black Company novel, mm. which is a book that uh, I'm pretty sure Gygax listed it along with other books in his appendix in the first edition Dungeon Masters Guide. Is a book that influenced early D and D. If it's not know. in Appendix N, it's certainly something that has come up. Uh, in conversations with Gygax. And uh, it's always interesting to to read books that have been cited as, a, an, as an influence on D&D and sort of ask yourself, you know, what is the thing that caught Gygax's eye mm-hmm. in this book? And okay, are there any elements I can trace from this book into Dungeons & Dragons? It's almost a bibliography of ideas. It It is. And yeah, I don't know. That's a particular... His Appendix N in the first edition Dungeon Master's Guide is a particularly good collection of fantasy literature. And I know that subsequent editions have sometimes had sort of that bibliography in the back. I don't know, something kind of magical about Gygax's uh, first one. but Yeah, the Blades in the Dark um, also has a like a page or two just sort of influences and, and things to watch or listen to to get in the mood. Mm-hmm. You don't really get that in other media, I don't think. Like, you don't get like a, hey, to really understand this, you should also, you know, check out these sorts of things. Right, right. The, uh, the other thing I want to mention, I'll be really quick, is I ran the Starfinder beginner box for my two kids. Uh, so they're aged 8 and 11. Yeah, they had a lot of fun. I know we have a topic or two around on the table of topics about introducing new players to gaming. And I don't know, at some point we sh- it'd be fun to talk about introduce- introducing kids to gaming. But, yeah. uh, you know, over the years, the one there's a lot of overlap between playing with kids and playing with new players because there's a just a lot of overlap because you're introducing new possibly very new concepts to somebody mm-hmm. but i have never seen like a game mastering advice article that addresses the problem of what do you do when your kid cries or throws a tantrum because they're rolling <laughs> bad so yeah. so if 
listeners, if you have written or read such an article, please send it to me because uh. I'm not going to name and shame any of my children, but I'm just saying I could, I could use a little bit of insight into that topic at the moment. <laughs> also, there's one about, you know, if you're a parent running a game for your kids and you want to throw a tantrum. <laughs> <laughs> there's that too. Well, we should dive into the topic at hand, which is how do you use and introduce randomness into your games? I, I want to start by asking you, Andy, I guess, what is the the most fun table you've ever written up for a game? Ooh, the most fun table. So I can't claim that this is a super original table idea, but many years ago I was I ran a one-shot set in a post-apocalyptic setting. And uh, I certainly stole this idea from RPGs which do it, but that is a great setting in which to write up a random table of stuff that you find in like a ruined, you know, a ruined building. So it was pretty fun. That was many years ago. And it was mostly, uh, it was mostly everyday objects that I tried to describe without saying what they were. Like a pencil, I wouldn't say it's a pencil. I would try and think of a way of, I would try to describe it without uh, using keywords that would immediately suggest to the the players what this was, and usually it's pretty obvious. But occasionally in those games, at least once in the game I ran, someone realized like two hours in that it was a flashlight. Uh, you know that the thing oh, that that's great. it was a flashlight. So that was pretty fun. This just reminds me: Have you played Horizon Zero Dawn? I have played some of it. Yes. <laughs> okay. There's a there's some really neat item descriptions that are sort of along those lines because it's it's set in sort of a far future, mm-hmm. but you'll pick up these things that are like old novelty mugs. And stuff. Oh. So there's like a description of it that's written in like how we would describe like Native American art. Yeah, but it's like, you know, about something that's like a modern day object. Yeah, I think the the most fun table that I wrote up was uh, I was running. It was a weekend game with some friends. Actually, Kyle Latino, former guest, was uh, was one of the players and they wanted to play sort of like a they wanted to be cops like in like a police procedural sort of thing. So think about like, you know, the CSI shows, all mm-hmm. the, those sorts of things. I wrote up a little table for like street drugs um, that I could <laughs> roll on. <laughs> it was really fun for me. And that was the only person it was fun for. <laughs> <laughs> okay. But sometimes as a GM, I think you need to get your kicks in, in certain ways. So, so writing up that table was really great and rolling on it was really fun. And they kind of rolled their eyes and wanted to do, you know, do <laughs> do anything else <laughs> so were these real drugs or made up drugs uh, please tell me they were made up drugs with like 80s type slang names yes. for them okay yeah yeah so it was like there was like two columns right and so like you know, one column was like a location on the the sword coast and another column was like oh, yeah, okay yeah yeah some sort of magic spell that sort of thing so. oh that's awesome okay <laughs> That uh, I would like to see that you should uh, if it's around you should uh, codify oh, it. And that's make that's it available gone. <laughs> okay, well, yeah. fair enough. Yeah, I I would like to hear. I I can start here, but I would be interested mm-hmm. in what your first uh, real experience with randomness as like a game affecting uh, mm. element is. And I can share mine just while you think about it. Uh, this is way back when I was a kid. I apologize, listeners, that so many of my dumb stories take place back in the mists of like the late the the 80s uh, I was pretty new to gaming and pretty new to uh, game mastering and I was in that mode when at least when you're a kid and you get into game mastering and I didn't have like people that I learned the game from I was picking up myself when you're in that mindset you just do what the rules say and you don't question it and it's only over time that you realize oh hey I have some like I have some game master control over what happens I don't have to do what the dice say but anyway mm-hmm. so I was very much in that you know, whatever the dice say we do it one of the characters he was it was a solo adventure it was like in 
one of the players from our campaign was doing something by himself. So we had met separately and he was traveling across Middle Earth and I was rolling on the random encounter tables and yeah, he ran into crocodile or some sort of like scary, mm-hmm. some sort of dangerous natural creature. And it didn't occur to me, you know, not to have him run into a creature that totally outclassed him. And yeah, he was, he was killed <laughs> and oh. he died like a few rounds into the fight. And, uh, it, there was like this moment where, you know, it was like, oh my gosh, uh, you're dead, dude. Sorry. Uh, and we kind of looked at each other and I was like, whoa, like this, this game is, this is kind of a crazy game that we're playing. Like, uh, it was, it, it was, um, I have other stories you know, and other experiences where something random ended up being like an amazing, cool victory or something like that. But my first encounter with randomness was like a, you know, a game ending encounter with something really hard that the player couldn't escape. Nah, that's that's rough. Did, so did he just roll a new character right there? Did you rewind a little bit? So now, so I think what happened is he was like basically mortally wounded uh, in in that game. There's like these crazy critical hit tables that you roll on mm-hmm. another random thing uh, for you there. Mm-hmm. And uh, I mean, he, he lost like multiple limbs or something like that. So he may have served. He may have technically survived, but the, but the character was his adventuring career was done. So, yeah, we stopped and we, uh, we, we rolled a new character and he showed up at the table the next game with a new character. That's interesting. I mean, it's part of the game, right? It's yep. Like... <laughs> yep. Oh, I mean, it was it was a lot of fun, but it was also jarring. I mean, I'm sure as like a kid, right? Like you probably don't remember. I wonder if there was any feedback given to the GM about this sort of game it they wanted to play. Probably is not principled. I do not rely on random tables that much, and I, I probably should do it more more often just to to throw myself off off my game a little bit and, and make myself react. But the probably the first time where it kind of struck me that like the dice sort of have as much power as you give them. The, the party had just killed or they'd taken down some sort of, you know, wizard that they were fighting. And so I was rolling, rolling death saving throws on it. And I'm like, and I was just sort of frantic cause like they weren't going well. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, like it was, these wizard was clearly going to die. And then I think I actually rolled a natural one, which in five, e counts as, you know, two, two death saving throws. And so you just straight up died. And like, I just had this moment where I stopped and it was like, well, I, it, it happened like this, this character that I had story reasons to keep around and was going to give them extra information. And they were going to be able to do something with this character is, is dead. And uh, like, I had this like brief moment where I was <laughs> kind of fighting internally, like what I was going to do. And I just started like, Oh, yep. It's dead. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. I had to move on. And it, it was a good moment for me because I realized that the game can still be played even when you have to start going off script. Yes. If that makes sense. Right. Cause like a thing happens like, well, the book didn't account for that. Like it didn't say like, and if he dies, go to page 25 <laughs> instead of page 15. Yeah. So we just, we rolled with it and it's still a fun adventure and all that. Do you use randomness when you are creating an adventure or planning for a game session? Like as an example, like, so do you populate an area that the players may explore with monsters, for example, using by Mm -hmm. rolling them randomly? Or is when you plan an adventure, is it all very deliberately placed? Depending on the game that we're playing and how much time we have when we're traveling, traveling is not super interesting to me. And I know Mm -hmm. there's ways to make it better. But when we're traveling, I will sort of use the, the, you know, roll a d20. If it's above 10, you, there's an encounter below 10, like that you just, 
you pass for four hours with nothing, <laughs> yep. nothing happening. Um, but so when, so I'll use randomness to sort of like say, okay, yeah, there's an encounter or not. But then, um, once that encounter is set, then I really like to sort of play it improv by just sort of creating sort of like you're, you're on a path, but let's make that path more interesting. So maybe there's some forest on, you know, the east side and on the west side, there is a, you know, like a little hill and, and things like that, that we can kind of play around with. Yeah. So just sort of using the randomness to sort of step the encounter. And then from there, um, I'll often just, yeah, build it on the fly. I realize that, you know, random encounters is not, is not by any means the only element of randomness in this topic, but it is kind of, it is a big one because especially in early D and D, it's such a big, uh, expectation in like the published adventures that people are encountering stuff randomly. Yeah. I, uh, I do something like that but i i don't know if this is cheating exactly or what but i plan out the encounters that they might have in advance in considerable detail because i'm i am bad at making interesting combat encounters if i have to come up with them on the fly like if i have to come up with them on the fly the terrain will not be very interesting you know there won't be those like little extra touches that add tactical interestingness to a scene so i will take like you know, four scenes that could happen, but that I'm not necessarily planning on happening. And I like map them out or just jot down notes about them. And then during the game, I roll, you know, I will roll for, to see if they have a random encounter. And if they do, I pick one of the ones that I've, I've thought in advance. And that also lets me, I don't know for sure if they're going to have a particular encounter, but if there's just like three or four that they might have, I can make sure that they all at least make sense, you know, a certain amount of sense. Um, Will you write up block text sort of at the beginning of those two, or is it more just a rough sketch of, hey, this is the room might have this, and these are the sorts of enemies in it? I go kind of all out, and I write down, I stat out stuff. I don't want to like be flipping through the monster manual. Uh, like part of it is ego. I want it to make it look like I have planned, you know, that I have planned for every possible <laughs> contingency. So, yeah. uh, so I plan for every possible contingency. And why GM unless you have a giant ego? <laughs> exactly. We're all. We're all monsters. So I don't deal well with like randomness in the moment real well. So I just like to be as prepared as I can be for when the randomness happens. And I do, I welcome the randomness, but I want to have like my toolkit, like as ready as it can be. So yes, Mm -hmm. I will stat out the monsters. I will write down what spells they have. So I don't forget, you know, if we roll a random encounter and it, and it's like an orc shaman and a couple of other things, I don't want to be flipping through a the monster manual to like figure out what all these things do. And I don't want to be flipping through the player's handbook to see what their spells do or Mm -hmm. things like that. So anything I can write down in advance is good. I realize that, that we, I have thus, you know, I'm moving pretty far from like the purpose of my random encounters, which is to be a a delightful surprise for the GM and the players and create an uh, experience. I don't know. What do you, what's your reaction to all that stuff? I mean, it's, it's fascinating to think about that because what you're doing is you're providing yourself a framework to sort of deal with the randomness that you want to deal with while also giving yourself the tools to sort of deal with the parts that you can't easily sort of memorize. I think there are some people that can have the monster manual memorized front to back, every stat sort of in their brain. They know the, the armor class of whatever, you know, on page 10. So, uh, that's not me. It doesn't sound like it's you either, right? Like, so we can write those things down and then sort of like run with the flow of the game. I think there's other GMs who, if you were to say that like, Oh, I'm walking down the hallway, but I want to go on that door. They're like, well, I don't have anything for that door. <laughs> so we, you can't go through that door. Yeah. <laughs> or maybe there's just no door there at all. The kind of like the nugget here that I'm, I'm kind of getting is like, yeah, you, you should use a table when 
it's something that you're open to having be random, but not feel like you need to use them in all scenarios. That's a, that's a good way to put it. Yes. I was going to ask, I mean, kind of the bigger question about randomness is, you know, is randomness, randomness, a key part of what makes role-playing and I guess D and D in particular, but role-playing in general fun for you, or is it, is it something to be hedged against or is it something that you lean into? You know, are you delighted when something random comes up and disrupts what you had to plan? Or are you are you mentally scrambling to like fill in the holes that it's created? Blades in the Dark is making me fall in love a little bit with with giving yourself these sort of branching paths. Because when, whenever you roll in Blades, the whole scenario can change pretty quickly based on consequences, failures, and successes. I like those inflection points where you were sort of playing make-believe and then all of a sudden sort of the rules come to bear and give you the new direction that your make-believe is going to take. And so I think that's that's super important. And we've sort of glossed over that whole issue of just like even in combat in D&D, right, you're rolling dice all the time. Like there's a bunch of randomness there even within the combat about how that's going to go. Like, I mean, you mentioned sometimes it goes very poorly and someone dies or, you know, mm-hmm. like, or maybe yeah, the goblin escapes and tells someone else, you know, that there's an adventure is coming. Um, but none of that really happens by GM fiat, like by the GM just sort of deciding each action Yeah. Um, there. Like it has to happen through the die roll. Otherwise then the GM should just be writing a short story. There's, a type of GM, and, and maybe you know GMs like this, that the, that use randomness to run things on the fly. And I have a great respect for those people, but I don't have the courage to do it myself. Um, <laughs> well, I mean, it's not like necessarily a courage thing, but that wouldn't. I don't think that would produce a game that I would enjoy as much as one where I am exercising a little bit more um, control over the, the range of randomness that can happen. Have you ever tried it or have you ever tried sort of a hex crawl where you don't really have a, an end path? You know, I, over the years I have gotten like the, the bug to do an old school hex crawl where like, okay, you move into this new area. Let's roll to see what's here. Okay. Oh, there's a, there's a temple here and it's, you know, where everything is randomly determined. Um, it just, it never sticks really. It's not really my style and yeah, I don't know. It never really sticks more than a few sessions and within a few sessions where kind of the player's interests have coalesced to a point where it's pretty clear, like kind of what they want to do and what kind of adventure we want to have. And as GM, I, you know, have started to solidify the things that we determined randomly. And I don't know, I guess I'm babbling a little bit, but I, I have never been able to pull off like a, a long-term, like heavy randomness of a game how about you yeah no i don't i don't really have any interest in in running that sort of game although now i'm kind of interested just to see what would happen if you really relied on yeah all the tables because every system gives you sort of all those tables that you could just roll on to to generate every npc you ever interact with i'm wondering if we could shift it a little bit from like the gm perspective sort of to the, the player perspective and I'm wondering if you've ever had a player who's who's been very into sort of just rolling for every decision. I think the way that that manifests is when you have a player sort of greedily grab the D20 and want to sort of roll for something. Mm. You know, like they might make a joke about rolling, you know, for some sort of skill that doesn't exist or they want to just like, I want to roll perception or, you know, like whatever. Like they sort of want the game to tell them if there's something out there for them. So I have a, a rogue that, that plays in one of my games who she's like kind of constantly checking for like hidden stuff. Yeah. And I'll often 
like I have just rolled on a random table to be like, yeah, and you found a whatever because mm-hmm. you know you looked <laughs> like that. But I think there's there is a sort of player that sort of wants that mystery and to find all the secrets in the room. Where I think they also sort of want to reach for the d twenty to just like well, let's just see see what happens. Yep, I have this uh, like stereotype, and I realize it's not totally accurate. But in my experience, games with higher random where randomness is more heavily baked into everything have this like natural tendency uh maybe towards silliness a little bit and i don't mean that in a in a bad way exactly and i you know all the disclaimers i realize that it's not inherently silly to have lots of random stuff happening you know when you're surprised it's fun to be surprised um and i think it by rolling random results at the table but i i just think there's something about it that creates a little bit more like of a zany uh feel i'm influenced in this because the games i've played that have the most random role stuff tend to be games that are also by design a little silly probably the craziest like rolling on random tables and like who knows what you could possibly what could possibly happen is um i don't know what edition it is but wizards of the coast's edition of gamma world came out during the 40 days i don't think it made a big splash but in that that is a game where you are randomly determine, determining your character's like powers every single encounter. It, it got some kind of silly in setting justification that your character is constantly mutating, and so every time like a fight scene is done, you like mutate. And before you had telekinetic powers, now you've mutated and you have like three arms and you can <laughs> fly. Like so, it's this. Uh, like so i associate like that heavy level of randomness with also a certain level of silliness so partly for that reason i also like it just am naturally inclined away <laughs> away from too much of that stuff i realize that you of course you can make a, a perfectly straight-faced like series of random tables to roll on but i'm trying to imagine like tolkien writing lord of the rings by rolling <laughs> d20s on yes on tables <laughs> That continuum of sort of silliness to seriousness. I think the the silliness crops up because most people's reaction to trying to combine two two sort of competing ideas is to bridge it with a joke. I think that's sort of your natural inclination is to be like, "Oh, now I can fly!" Like you know, like watch me fly. Like yeah, like there there isn't going to be a dramatic like, and the wings hurt as they rip from my back or something like that. Like it's just so it's it's easier to sort of jump to the silliness in there. I think like every time I've rolled on like a D 100 table, something for an item, you end up having to like jump through some sort of hoop to bring it into the story. Mm, yeah. It's never going to be object. That's like, Oh, this makes total sense within the world because it, you know, means this exact thing. You have to sort of shoehorn it in. And yeah. I think that that does sort of add narrative weight, narrative baggage, not narrative weight. So here, here's a different randomness uh, element. How big of a part, does randomness play in your player's character creation? Do your players typically come to the table with a firm idea of the kind of character they want to play and then they create that character? Or do they come and they're like, let's see what the dice tell me I'm going to be playing? My players typically come with a pretty solid idea of the sort of character they want to play. They might leave certain things up to chance or what's happening at the table. I personally have played in 
just a one shot where I had to create a character. Like I don't get to be a player that much. Um, so <laughs> yeah. I got really excited about, about making a character. So I did the whole, like roll all the dice for all your attributes. And like, I did the whole thing, uh, like the right, correct way. And that was a lot of fun for me. You know, I ended up being like a very dumb sort of character because one of my stats was super low. <laughs> yeah. But like, yeah, it gave you, it gave me sort of a, a fun framework to sort of play around in where I didn't feel like I was coming up with like a, a super serious character where there was like, I really want to play this person for two or three years at a time. It was more like, yeah, I want to see like who this character is and, and try to figure it out at the yeah. table. There are games that kind of encourage being open to randomness in the character you play. And there are mm -hmm. games where that's not as much of a design goal, but um, you know, the, the case that's usually made is there's a special, special satisfaction, I think in making an interesting, you know, adventuring career and life out of a character that's like kind of out of your control, like what they are and what their strengths and weaknesses are. I know when I was younger, partly due because to the games we were playing and also just because of our, the mentality with which we were approaching gaming, we let randomness have a stronger role in character creation. It was, it produced an interesting situation because, you know, players would typically come to the game wanting to play a certain kind of character and then you kind of have to hope that the dice uh, fit that. And in some old school, you know, fantasy role-playing games, that's a kind of a desperate hope, I guess. And one effect that it had is it, it kind of encourages a real knowledge of an engagement with the rules. Because if you're if you roll stats that aren't really that don't really support your concept, but you really want to do this concept. You're going to dig through the rules and find ways to pull your character a little bit closer to the concept you have for him or her. And so I think that's that's kind of an interesting thing that you wouldn't it, it, that encourages engagement with the rules that you don't necessarily get if you're just playing exact 100 percent the character that you felt like playing when you showed up. This is all making me really want to run a hex crawl where <laughs> <laughs> where we yeah, do determine everything sort of randomly. I think it could be a fun setup for a game. And then I, I would very quickly, just as you said, want to shift to something that's a little bit more story driven, <laughs> but yeah, but, but as like a one shot or yeah, a couple session long something. Well, think about the difference between, you know, an old school D and D statistically, you know, you're probably going to wind up with the, the fighter and the cleric and stuff like that quite often if you're doing a straight random thing but think about how special it is when you manage to like roll and oh my goodness i'm a, i'm a bard you know it's yeah. like it's a weird event remember the time you you rolled your stats just right and you got a bard there's a there's a blog post or an article rolling around that i know you and i have discussed in the past where somebody did a, a statistical analysis of like how likely you were by rolling the dice straight by the rules to get some of the more arcane AD&D character classes like, you know, Paladin and, and Bard and Monk. And it's some, what we learned from that is that like not even Gygax at his most hardcore actually expected you to play straight by the dice. Yeah, that's, that to me is pretty interesting. I would, I mean, I, I think there would be a revolt if 5e did that, but you know, there, there's something kind of nice about sort of locking some of those classes away behind some sort of gate because i mean you can you can open up you can make a character that's that's any any sort of class like it's a world of possibilities for you which is great but also i don't know like there's something neat about that 
you might not get to be a bard even if you want to, but you can sort of work work towards it. I think modern D and D hits hits that reasonably well. It, it like hits a nice balance, you know, with five e or whatever. If you wanna, if you wanna be kind of hardcore and stick to the first six ability scores that you roll, you can. And so if you want a little bit of that experience, uh, you can. I mean, it's pretty forgiving as far as like what, you know, races and classes you can be, no matter what you roll on the dice. If you are interested in, you know, Hexcrawl, there's a lot, there's a lot of like old school inclining games out there that play into this. Would you ever be interested in playing a game where there really was no randomness at all? It was like purely what you would call a story game where... You know, nothing happens that is not come from the mind of the GM or the players. Or would that, like, not... Does that not really appeal to you? I think it does. I I listened to a couple episodes of Friends at the Table. Did a, a campaign in a system that I'm totally blanking on the name, but we'll find it and throw it in the show notes. But it was very much just so, like, we're going to tell a story together. And it's really good, but they're also excellent storytellers hmm. and excellent performers. I would have to have a, a particular kind of group to do that. I don't think I don't think I'm the right GM for that, and I don't think I'm the right performer and player to pull that off. But I am very fascinated in in that. Like, hey, we have a little bit of a framework for how we're going to do this, but let's let's sort of tell a story together. What about you? Would you ever do that? Um, similar reaction to you. I definitely. I I don't think it especially appeals to me. Yeah, even if the randomness in a game is really mostly just, you know, how well or poorly are you rolling in combat. Uh, I like being slightly on edge in a role-playing game. The random randomness is just an easy way to to create tension. And I'm not saying you couldn't create tension with like a really well-done shared narrative experience, but dice make for easy tension. I would struggle. Also, you know, I'm not a skilled improv, you know, actor and um I'm easily flummoxed when I've been in games where, you know, I've been called to like, okay, so what does, what is the speech your character gives? Or, you know, what, what, uh, at just like last year I was playing at a con game and, uh, my character died and I, the GM asked me to, you know, deliver his kind of death speech. And I like, you know, his like parting speech or whatever. And I, I froze up. So games that uh, would require me to be like, you know, crafting a story on the fly would, would not go very well. That, that's a long-winded way of saying I think my comfort zone is somewhere in like the modern D&D like vibe where there's randomness baked into the system but it's not like a randomness that you can't overrule whether you're the player or the GM through one means or another. Well we should wrap up. I think that was a pretty good discussion. I feel like we could probably ask this topic with every guest we have yes. and have uh, an equally long and <laughs> yes. long conversation. We should say goodbye, but before we do that, we should probably replace this topic. So if you have anything, Andy, we can add it to the table and I'm going to give it a little bit of thought too. I am wondering about adding a topic along the lines of um, and this is something that's going to start becoming a, an issue for me. How do you give a satisfying conclusion to a, a player that has to leave leave a game? Oh, that's a really good one, actually. I have, I have one player who I know is moving in a month or two, um, and another player who might not be able to stick with us because of a job change. So I need to figure out how to give them sort of a satisfying conclusion, yeah, and a, a good send off because it's not like we're we're flaming out and breaking up or anything like that. It's yeah, just they they need to go do something else. 
Yeah, I think that's a really good topic. It's interesting uh, being the host of the show, but not really having control of like what appears on our table of topics. You know, speaking of random randomness uh, that can make or break your uh, your experience. Yeah, at some point I want to get a topic on here related to like running games for kids, and that's a, a selfish one. But I don't see I don't see people talking about it a lot. Although I certainly see a lot of people mentioning that they game with their kids or they're thinking about introducing their kids. And uh, as I mentioned earlier, you know, it's a different topic than how do you play with adults who are new gamers. Yeah, we might have to take a couple episodes to to talk about some of those yeah. those topics. Cause, so my daughter is almost four years old, mm. and so I have a, a number of, of friends who, who have sort of younger kids, but we're all sort of thinking like, okay, like what's what's going to be the first role-playing game like what's going to connect with them you know are they going to like this at all like those those sorts of things you know because you want to play games with your family it's it's fun to play games with them <laughs> yeah 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 so yeah maybe we should we should think about that seriously yeah. well uh, for the topic today let's go ahead and add your topic about how do you uh how do you send off a player and and their character in a satisfying way that's not just like okay, they just didn't. They, they're just not going to show up. They, <laughs> you left them at the last town, and uh, you never see them again. Okay, well, hey, uh, thanks everybody for listening. Chris, do we have any uh, last minute business to take care of here, or shall we say farewell? I think the the only thing that I wanted to say we, we mentioned a little bit earlier in the podcast too. If you're listening and you're enjoying it, do reach out. You know, let us know. You can leave reviews on stuff. That's great too. But we'd actually rather just hear directly from you. So, uh, yeah, reach out if you if you listen. And then if you have a friend or you who want to come on as a guest, uh, also let us know. We're particularly looking for women, non-binary folks, uh, just to come on and, and talk about their experience. We've had a lot of sort of middle-aged white guys on the show, which is great. But uh, we'd like to get a little bit more out of that set of people. I've been Chris Salzman. I have been Andy Rao and remain Andy Rao. Remember, if your players are having fun, you're a great GM. Bye.